Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. If you don't know me, I'm, I'm Devin Tharp. I'm the family pastor here. And I'd love for you to open up your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter two. That's where we're gonna be looking at verses 24 and 25 in just a few moments. And as you turn there, I just wanna remind you what we believe about the Bible here at Good Shepherd. And you may not believe this yet. You might be here in the room or watching live stream and you may not agree with us. That's okay. We're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening in, but we want you to know where we stand as leaders in this church. And that is this, that this book, it looks like a book. It's actually a library. We know that. That's a fact. The, the Bible is a library that contains 66 different books written by a lot of different authors over a long span of time. And we believe that this library is unlike any other library on planet earth that in a way beyond our comprehension, God breathed his truth onto its pages, life into its words. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God, it's eternal, and it's true. And so whenever we get ready to read the scriptures here, we lift it up. And it's our way to say, thank you, God, for the word, because we don't worship the word. We worship the God of the word, but it's our way also to say to God, thank you, and we submit to your authority through your word in our lives, amen? Let's do one other thing I'd love to pray. If you'd pray for me as you pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together today. And Lord, we invite the real preacher and teacher of the Holy Spirit to rise up, to use this message, and to use this opportunity to mold and shape us into the people that you desire us to be, God. We're the clay. You are the potter. Mold and shape our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I absolutely love it when we come to church together on Sunday morning. I mean, I think about during the week, we are all over this city. We're all over this region. Some of you are flying to other states to do work and business. But on Sundays, we come together. And when we come together, we sing and we worship, we pray, we lift our Bibles, and we unite together as a community under this one central idea, Jesus is Lord. And so I love that. And it gets me excited and energized. And that doesn't mean that we all agree on everything, right? I mean, we, we have disagreements. There are things we don't see eye to eye on. But that's part of the beauty of the church is while we might have different perspectives or we might bring a uniqueness to this community, that brings diversity into our community. And that is beautiful. And so I, I just love that about the church. And I've always loved that about the church because I'm a product of the local church. I mean, I grew up going to church Sundays, Wednesdays. If there was a special event and they needed extra volunteers, I was voluntold by my parents, you will be volunteering to help out. Thank you, mom and dad, for always getting me involved. And so I was always a part of church. And as I was getting ready, preparing for this message, I was thinking about growing up in the church and all the messages I'd heard around marriage. And I realized I don't ever remember hearing a lot of teaching around marriage growing up. Now, maybe I did hear it and I just forgot. I mean, I am fairly forgetful, those of you who know me. I mean, I can almost remember what I had for breakfast. So it is a little difficult for me to remember my past, but I think back and I just go, I don't really remember hearing a lot of teaching about marriage. And if I did, it certainly didn't stand out. And that's, that's okay, uh, but because that's part of the reason I love the fact that right now we're in this series that's all about marriage 
Because whether you recognize it or not, marriage has a massive impact on all of us. It influences every single one of us. Now, if you're married, your marriage directly influences you, right? But marriages make up families. Families make up the fabric of our community. They make up the fabric of our city and of our country. At the very core of who we are as a society, marriage is a building block. It's a part of the foundation of our society. And so marriage is important. But despite that importance, I didn't really hear much about it growing up. However, in church growing up, in youth group and in church, I did hear about a topic that's directly related to marriage. And I heard about that really on a regular basis. And it's a topic that might make some of you feel uncomfortable, especially in church. It's a topic that for some of you, would go, could we just skip that part? We could just ignore that and just kind of move on. You'd really rather just not even deal with it. Do you want to know what the topic is? Really? The topic is sex, of course. And now some of you are like, now I know why they put the PG-13 signs out as I was coming in the door. That's right, the topic today is sex. And by the way, we have a great kids ministry happening right now. If you'd love for your kids to be a part, I bet I could recruit some volunteers to do kids ministry right now if I really needed to. We've been in the series called Happily Ever After where we've been looking at the origins of marriage. And we can't possibly talk about marriage comprehensively without talking about sex. And I know some of you are like, do we have to? Yes, we do. And then there are others of you in the room that are probably like, woohoo, we're talking about sex today. That's great. I'm so glad I'm in a church where we can talk about something as difficult as sex. I think it's interesting to me that when it comes to this topic, we kind of navigate or, or go to two different extremes. Because on the one hand, we have those who make too little of sex. For you, you're squirming in your seat already because you're really uncomfortable. You really don't want to have to sit and listen to a conversation about this. For whatever reason, sex makes you feel uncomfortable. And maybe that's because you have a belief that sex is bad, that it's gross, that it's unimportant. Whatever the case may be, you just really don't wanna talk about it. And that might be related to your past. If you're married and you minimize sex, it could be because of shame and guilt in your past. It could be because of your upbringing. It could even be because of, of past abuse. Whatever the case may be, for you, you minimize sex. You have a low view of it. And you just would rather not talk about it. And then there are those of you over here. And when I said we're talking about sex, inside you're like, woohoo, that's great. I'm so glad we're talking about that today. Because for you, sex isn't a bad topic. It's a great topic because sex is on your mind a lot you can easily, it can easily overtake your thinking. And if that's you and you're married, then you can easily obsess about sex. You can wish for more sex. You can be thinking, you know what would make our marriage better? More sex. That could be your answer. Sex could even be the reason that maybe there's division or maybe it's driven a wedge between you and your spouse. If that's the case, then maybe you're making too much of it. Regardless of where you are in that spectrum, whether you minimize sex in your mind or whether you maximize sex in your mind, here's the reality. Our culture has no problem talking about sex. They have no problem teaching our children about sex. They have no problem leveraging sex 
for all it's worth. Because after all, the old saying goes, sex sells. And so our our culture will leverage sex for all that it's worth to help their bottom line. And maybe you find yourself at one of those two extremes. You're, you're minimizing sex or you're maximizing sex, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Or maybe you're like, Devin, I don't even know what I think about when I think about sex. I never really thought about it before. And so you brought it up. But regardless, we have kind of a wide variety of perspectives when it comes to this topic. But here's the thing. We all have one thing in common. One thing that runs through all of us when it comes to the topic of sex. And that is this, sin has skewed our view of sex. Sin, that desire we have to think of ourselves first and foremost, that desire we have to essentially ignore God, that desire distorts our view of the world and it certainly distorts our view of sex as well. And so what we all need is we need a proper, healthy understanding of sex. And in order to do that, we gotta go back to the one who designed sex, the one who created sex. You might be surprised to hear in church that that is God himself. Yeah, God designed sex. We didn't think it up on our own. It was something God designed and created. And so if we're gonna learn what is God's perspective on sex, what does God have to say about sex? We gotta look to the scriptures and we gotta go back to the beginning, back to the Garden of Eden, to Genesis chapter two, where we get a good amount of information about this particular topic. So turn with me, Genesis chapter two, verses 24 and 25. We're gonna get into those in just a minute. But before we get into those, if you remember, before we read scripture, we always gotta know the context, right? We gotta know what happened before, what happened afterwards. And so that helps us to understand the text that we're reading. So let me give you a little recap of what's happened up until this point in the story. So God has just created the world. It's beautiful, it's incredible. And along with his creation, he's created all these animals and he's also created the first man. His name is Adam. And God looks around and he realizes, man, all the animals, they kind of got a buddy. Like he created like this beautiful little buddy system. And yet Adam has no buddy. It says there's no suitable helper for Adam. So God decides, you know what? I'm gonna solve that problem. So God puts Adam into a deep sleep. He actually uh, goes in and God performs the very first surgery. And out of Adam, God creates the very first woman. And her name is Eve. So Adam and Eve are the very first human beings on the planet. They're also the very first married couple. And we know that because Genesis 2, 24 tells us that. Let's look there. Verse 24, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Now here, God has just uh, performed the very first wedding ceremony. He's given away the first bride, Eve. He's officiated the first wedding. And Adam and Eve are now pronounced husband and wife. And that's where we pick up the story, the tail end of verse 24. It says this, and the two, and I wanna pause right there. I know we're only three words in, but I think these three words are pretty significant because God here refers to, through his word, Adam and Eve as two separate individuals, two whole and complete individuals. And I think that's pretty important 
Because if you're single here today or single again, know that you are a whole and complete individual in and of yourself. God created you in his image just the way you are. And while you might be looking for a buddy or a suitable helper, uh, you don't need someone to complete you. You're complete in and of yourself. And married people, when you got married, you brought your whole personality, your whole individuality, you brought that into the marriage. You didn't leave part of yourself at the altar on your wedding day. So when we come into marriage, we bring our whole selves to that marriage. And that's where the rest plays out. And the two will become one flesh. Now here we got a first, another first in this chapter. And there's a whole bunch of firsts in this chapter. And this first is the first time Adam and Eve have sexual intercourse. The very first time. And we know that because the text is pretty clear. The two become one flesh. We know that's what become one flesh means. Now here's the reality. While it certainly doesn't mean anything less than that, it also means so much more. Because the word flesh here is used as a figure of speech. It's used to represent something that's greater than the thing that it's, it's talking about. It's used to represent the whole. And so what God's trying to say through his word here very clearly is that sex is way more than a physical act. Sex is an act that involves the entire person, body, mind, and spirit. When two people have sex, they are bringing their whole selves to that experience. Well, let me be also Captain Obvious here for a minute. But Adam and Eve, they have sexual intercourse after they're united in marriage. Actually, their sexual union, their sexual intimacy, it actually completes their marriage covenant. You see, marriage is a covenant. It's a lifelong commitment. And as a part of that commitment, sexual intimacy is a part of it. It actually seals the deal. It's kind of like the signing of the covenant. That kind of puts a whole new twist on sign on the dotted line, doesn't it? And so Adam and Eve here, they're signing the deal. They're sealing the deal with their sexual union. They're saying we commit ourselves to each other as a part of this covenant for the rest of their lives. And this lifelong covenant is why marriage or sex is reserved for marriage. Because when you, two people become one, they essentially are merging themselves into one legal, social, and economic unit. The two are becoming one flesh. So Eve has just been given away as the first bride. God's officiated the first uh, marriage, the first couple, or, or the first ceremony, sorry. And he's just getting ready. He's pronounced them husband and wife. And what do we do after a ceremony? If you go to a wedding ceremony or an award ceremony or a graduation, after the ceremony, you go out and you what? You celebrate, right? You go out to dinner and you do something special because you want to celebrate what's just happened. Adam and Eve, right after they're pronounced husband and wife, they go and they celebrate because sex is the celebration. Sex is the party. It's the opportunity they have to have this intimate time together where they celebrate their union that God has just overseen. You see, sex from the Bible's perspective is a gift from God. It's a gift from God that allows two people who commit to a marriage covenant to celebrate their oneness together 
and to allow themselves to grow closer together over time. You see, that's the interesting thing about sex. It doesn't just happen on your wedding night. I don't know if you knew or not, but it happens continually. And part of the design of that is it allows a couple to continue to grow closer to each other as time goes on. Think about this, married couples. When you went through your wedding ceremony, you had some vows. You said vows to each other. And there are different vows out there, traditional ones. Sometimes we write our own. But when you say a vow to another person in a marriage ceremony, you're saying to them, I commit my whole self to you for the rest of my life. It's this commitment in this covenant of saying, I'm going to give you everything I am and everything I have for the rest of my life. It's a beautiful moment. And think about this, married couples. When you have sex with your spouse, you are essentially renewing your vows. You're saying to that person all over again, I would give my whole self to you for the rest of my life. I don't know about you, but that's not ugly. That's beautiful. That's something that God designed. Inside this beautiful marriage covenant where there's intimacy and connection and a desire for oneness and an opportunity for them to continue to celebrate and grow closer together over time. That's why what I want you to know this morning, Good Shepherd, is this. Sex is the celebration of oneness for a husband and wife. Keep the party going. Yeah, keep the party going. Sex should be a celebration of your oneness as a couple. And as you continue to keep that party going, you continue to grow closer together in unity as a team, and as one, just the way God designed it. Now, when you got married uh, on your wedding day and on your wedding night, the two of you became one. And you celebrate that every year during your anniversary. That's why that day is so significant. You celebrate the fact that the two of you became one. So we celebrate anniversaries. It's such a special day because of the significance of that moment. That being said, if you've been married more than five minutes, you know that becoming one might happen in a moment, but it also takes a lifetime to achieve. I mean, it's an ongoing process. Can I hear an amen from anybody on that? Because I learned that on day four of my honeymoon. T and I, we were married 22 years ago, so you could say we're feeling 22. Did you get that little Taylor Swift reference there? Okay, good. Talbot gets all his musical references in. So I just, you know, I know he appreciates Taylor Swift. I had to get that in there. So we're feeling 22 this year. And we went to Yellowstone National Park as a part of our honeymoon. And so when we got out there on day four of our honeymoon, we decided we were gonna take a hike to, uh, on a portion of the Continental Divide. Oh, the irony. Little did I know just how divided that hike would make us. This part of the park had just been opened. It was June, it was warm outside, but there was still plenty of snow on the ground. And so we got to the trailhead and the trail wasn't marked real well. I'm pretty sure nobody else had hiked that trail before us. And you know how trails are supposed to have like a marker on the trees along the way? I don't ever remember seeing any markers on those trees. So we went for this hike, long story short, we had a small disagreement about what direction to take. And when I say we had a small disagreement, I mean, it was like World War III. 
It was a battle of the wills and neither of us were gonna give in, especially not in this first big marriage fight. I think it was like we were gonna determine who was in control of this relationship in this moment. And so we were duking it out. Needless to say, it was not a good day, not definitely one for the scrapbook. Anybody else here have that moment where you had a fight on your honeymoon? I mean, it stinks, right? It stinks because here you are in this beautiful celebration and it all gets ruined by one misunderstanding. But for me, that moment, I recognize this whole becoming one thing, that's gonna take some time, like a lifetime to achieve. Because becoming one, it might happen in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to achieve. And sex is a part of that process. It's a part of the process that allows two people to continue to draw closer together in oneness. Sex is the celebration of oneness for a husband and wife. So keep the party going. Well, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the most searched combination of words around the topic of marriage on the internet are the words sexless marriage. You heard that right. Sexless marriage. Over 21,000 Google users every month type that into the one place they're bold enough to be completely honest, the search bar. Maybe this morning as you're listening or watching, you could say, that's you. That's your relationship right now. And I wanna challenge you in that thinking because maybe that comes from a minimized view of sex, a low view of sex, where you believe sex is bad, it's unimportant. But in your lack of sexual intimacy as a couple, it's also ruined your relationship in so many other ways. So I have some biblical advice for you, if that's the case. Throw a party. Don't invite friends. <laughs> Seriously, celebrate the oneness, the gift that God has given you through sex to draw closer to your spouse because sex is a celebration. It's a celebration of oneness for a husband and wife. Now, maybe for you, it goes much deeper than that. The issue isn't just about having sex. The issue is about intimacy and your lack of intimacy as a couple. I wanna take a look back on Genesis chapter two, verse 25. This is right after Adam and Eve have just had sexual intercourse for the first time. And then verse 25 says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame in that moment. Now, obviously they're physically naked, but that's not the total story. They had nothing to hide between the two of them, nothing at all. They were completely vulnerable and intimate with each other. That means they, they were intimate emotionally, they were intimate spiritually, they were intimate physically. And maybe for you, the challenge is intimacy. And here, I want you to understand that intimacy does not equal sex. Men, I need you to hear that. Intimacy does not equal sex. Intimacy is more than sex. Because here's the truth. You can have sex without intimacy, but if you don't have intimacy in your marriage, there's a great chance you won't be having much sex. You need intimacy. You need emotional and spiritual intimacy. And for some of you, the challenge might be spiritual intimacy. It might mean you sharing where you are spiritually. Maybe you're in a really tough place spiritually with God and you haven't shared that with the one person you would say you love the most. 
Maybe for you, it's the emotional intimacy. You've got to figure out what you're feeling in the season and you need to share that with your spouse. And that can be hard, right? This stuff isn't easy. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm a very emotional guy and there are still times I'm like, I don't know what I feel. I'm not sure I felt anything today. But when we delve into that, when we understand what we're feeling and we share that with our spouse, there is a connectedness that leads to oneness, that creates intimacy, including sexual intimacy. Because intimacy matters in a marriage. And sex is the celebration of oneness for a husband and wife. So keep the party going. Well, T and I, we both grew up in the church. And when we got married, we knew, we understood that God designed sex, that sex was good. But to be honest, early in our years of marriage, we never talked about sex. We never actually had an honest conversation about it. And I'd be willing to bet we're not the only couple who has not had an honest conversation around this difficult topic with our spouse. Some of you might think it's hard to sit through a church service that's about sex. Try having an honest conversation with your spouse about it. That will breed some anxiety in people. And we understand that. So we wanted to help couples have an honest conversation around sex. So we created a simple resource that you can download online. It's at beautifulmarriages.org. That's beautifulmarriages with an S.org slash guide. And it is a very simple conversation guide, just a few questions that will help you and your spouse have an honest conversation around this difficult topic. Because we want you to experience intimacy because sex is intimacy celebrated. Well, when we keep the party going, uh, as a married couple, we not only grow in our oneness with each other, we also increase our impact as a couple. And one of the things I love about this church, I love about Good Shepherd is we believe in marriage so strongly that we have a statement about what we believe about marriage. And a part of that statement right at the end says this. We're gonna put it up on the screen. We promote beautiful marriages, not simply so a couple will be happy, but so our community will become more holy. Not because of how it benefits us, but how it benefits the kingdom. Lord, folks, if you are here this morning and you are married, know this, your marriage as a follower of Jesus is greater than your happiness. The purpose of your marriage is much greater than your happiness. It is to influence others for God and for his kingdom. And God can do that through your marriage. I want you to think about that couple you know who love God with their whole heart and they've been committed and faithful to each other for decades. Think about the influence and impact they've had on so many other people. Think about how their children view marriage as a result of seeing their mom and dad love each other and love God so well. Think about their children's friends and their view of marriage and how they've been impacted. Think about all the other couples that that couple has encouraged or challenged or maybe even uh, been an example of what a beautiful marriage looks like. And I think about that marriage, that one beautiful marriage and the ripple effect it could have. It could impact hundreds, maybe even thousands of other people. One beautiful marriage could do that. And I think if that's what God could do with one beautiful marriage, imagine what he could do collectively with all of our marriages. You know, there's over 1,300 couples, married couples that call Good Shepherd home. What could God do 
with 1,300 couples that have a beautiful marriage, that live for his kingdom and love each other well. I wouldn't call that a ripple. I'd call that a movement. That's a movement that could change the next generation. That's a movement that could impact our community. That's a movement that could impact our city. That's what we're going for. That's what we believe God has called us to. And you can be a part of it. Sex is a part of that process because sex is the celebration of oneness for a husband and wife. Keep the party going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. It isn't afraid to address difficult topics that helps guide and direct us in our thinking and Lord can lead us to intimacy with our spouse and help us to experience oneness in our marriage relationship. God, I pray that as we go from here today, you would use this message, this understanding to change our thinking, to align us with you and to mold and shape us into couples who not only have a beautiful marriage, but impact and influence others for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.